Hi everyone, I'm Nerd Bummer. And I'm Tactic, and we're two of the hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies, gaming, tech, and more. Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures. And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Robert Stewart. And this is Collateral Cinema and... Stew World Order. Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it dabs, blunts, bonks, or joints, smoke it if you've got it. And welcome to episode two of season five of Collateral Cinema. How are you doing, y'all? I am doing all right over here on my end. If if the recording works this time. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, we've been having some technical difficulties with Robert Stewart from Stu World Order Productions. He is with us on this episode. How are you doing, man? I am doing pretty good. How are you guys doing down there in Texas? Uh, very hot. Even though it's not as hot as it could be, it's still pretty warm for this time of year, but we're bearing with it. That's why if you hear any fans or air conditioning on in the background, bite us. We want to stay cool. You know what? And it's fucking October already. It's goddamn October and it's still hot, but you know what else it is? It is spooky season. It is definitely the spooky season. Isn't that right? It is. I was uh, starting to tell you guys last time. I'll tell you guys now. My wife and I have this little thing. It's called Spooky Town. It's like a Christmas town display. We're real big dorks. We got into it a, a couple years ago. You buy it at Michael's. And we've been very upset this year because no Michael's are carrying any new items. So we cannot get any new houses for our Spooky Town. Oh, no. Oh, so, so, so you're is, having to. This imp- is the kind of life you lead whenever you're like 40 years old and married. It's not the kind of stuff like whenever <laughs> I was the age of these characters in this movie, I remember watching this movie being age appropriate and thinking like I had this hip awesome life and here I am at 40 years old and I'm just like I can't find spooky town my <laughs> life's a wreck damn it man well then, I mean are y'all just gonna have to improvise or something like that or? I guess we're just gonna I mean we have the the stuff that we have it's already out on display for the year so we'll wait and see but who knows if they're gonna come out with any this year or not yeah definitely you know with the pandemic and everything I'm sure lots of stuff is fucked up in that sense with supply lines so yeah that makes oh sense. yeah but anyway we are celebrating the halloween season by taking on another classic horror movie last episode we did necromantic uh <laughs> have you ever seen that movie Stu? i have never uh, necromantic i've never even heard of that it is exactly what you think it's about exactly <laughs> what you think it's about and it's it's very very romantic about it as well so <laughs> fantastic i will look that up yeah, look it up. It's it's listed amongst like those list of uh, most disturbing movies. You you'll find it a lot on those type of videos and whatnot. So yeah, it, it's one of those movies, <laughs> and it has a sequel. <laughs> and it has a sequel. <laughs> of course, don't they all? Yeah, don't they all? As Hard to find horror movies that don't. Yeah, right. Like for instance, the movie that we are talking about today. We are talking about Wes Craven's all-time classic satirical slasher movie, Scream. Man, we just watched this movie like not even a few minutes ago, right, Ash? Yeah, you and I did. That was... um it, it's so it's still fresh on the brain and and the first thing that that's coming to mind about this movie is just how meta it is just just countless references to horror films including Wes Craven's own Nightmare on Elm Street that's mentioned more than once I love that so much and directly referenced <laughs> um, and and I, and I love that that even that little joke he makes the first one was scary but you know the rest were trash 
<laughs> yeah, right. And, he, and it's a little self-effacing there because he did direct one of the, those sequels. At least uh, Dream Warriors, right? Yeah, I believe so. In case anybody, oh, Dream Warriors is fantastic. Dream Warriors is great, man. That is my favorite of the Nightmare series. We actually did a retrospective on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise on the director's cut, and we went into Dream Warriors quite a bit, and that is really like just the best one. It feels like the Avengers meets Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> right? <laughs> Definitely. But anyway, this movie was directed by the one and only Wes Craven. So, I mean, speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street, and this has his fingerprints all over it, just basically in the way that the characters are presented, even though it's all satirical, but also just in the way that the horror is actually displayed on screen. You know, like like the on-screen violence itself, it's both a metaphor and it's also exactly what the movie is going for, if you know what I mean. It is, and uh, like a lot of his movies, it's bloody and brutal, but not gory. Like, it's not anything that you can't watch. It's nothing that you're going to, like, pull your eyes away from because it's gross or overly graphic or anything, but there is a lot of blood. There aren't even titties. Oh, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to give us a horror slasher film in the same vein as the 80s? Well. In the 90s without fucking titties. Well, technically, that was never really Wes Craven's forte. I mean, even going all the way back to Last House on the Left, which is his contribution to extreme cinema. I mean, you had very little of that, and that actually had, like, a sexual assault scene in it. So, I mean, he really went there, but he didn't really go there a lot. Yeah, and he actually satirized that in this one. Yeah, very much so. There's a whole joke on it, and, uh, like, like they go for a, for a whole bit doing it. I mean, this movie is, is in many ways a parody of, you know, the slasher horror films of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. It, it kind of predates, you know, Scary Movie in that sense, right? Of course it does. Come on. Scary Movie is a parody of Scream. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's a parody of a parody, right? <laughs> yeah. How, how far out do you need to go on that one? Like, where do we get the parody of uh, Scary Movie at? <laughs> to tell the truth, I was just thinking about Scary Movie the entire time I was watching it earlier. Like, I mean, I'm just looking at at this movie and it's like amazing how Scary Movie just really follows this story beat by beat almost. I've never seen Scary Movie. I've heard that. I've heard it's pretty much like it's just Scream, except zanier and sillier. But I've never seen the original Scary Movie. You need to see it. It's actually worth watching at least once because it works on so many levels. It works on, you know, if you're just a fan of those types of movies, you know, like Naked Gun, Airplane and whatnot. Right. But it also works on the level of if you're into the movie Scream, because like I said, it really kind of follows that story beat by beat, like almost to a T. And that's really what makes the parody in that movie so much more cutting. Ash, you haven't seen Scary Movie, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, damn it, man. I've seen bits and pieces of some of them, but I don't think I've ever seen any of the first one. It's pretty much the last great parody movie. Like... I, I mean, I saw Epic Movie and that was terrible. No, I'll, I'll take it back. <laughs> not another teen movie is the last great parody movie, in my opinion. I've heard not another teen movie is good. I saw Meet the Spartans in theaters and that was terrible. Oh, no, I never really messed around with Meet the Spartans. I mean, Epic Movie and Date Movie, I sat through like not even laughing once. Like, yeah, not, I'm not, sure. Yeah. Not even once, especially Date Movie. That was a joyless experience. They got away from just lampooning the genre into just making references that, like, by the time the movie came out in theater, the reference was already old. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Much, pretty much just the family guy approach to comedy. You know, the, the manatee jokes? Yeah. Like, I watched recently, I watched all three Naked Guns, and the first two hold up really well, and the third one is just a bunch of, like, oh, look, it's the early 90s jokes. Like, let's talk (laughs) about the L.A. riots. And it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. It's not funny 20-some years later. This movie was not meant to age. Yeah, seriously. It it does kind of suffer from that. And this movie, especially Scream, it's amazing that there's certain elements that are dated, but not enough to make the movie as a whole feel dated. I think watching Scream, the only thing that really feels super dated at this point is 
there's a part where Billy drops his cell phone and it's a big reveal like, oh, this character owns a cell phone. Yeah, that can didn't you, work. <laughs> can you believe how unrealistic that is? Exactly. Yeah, that, that part actually was, it's funny because, you know, I was born in 95, so I, I don't really remember a time without cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I, just barely. I remember back in the days when a cell phone was literally this thing in this big handbag that you, it was like a car phone. You had to pick it up and dial and everything. It had the cord and, and whatnot. Like, that's what my mom had, at least, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I remember my mom having one, and it was like we had to go to Walmart and buy the card for the minutes. Like, you didn't just have a plan or anything. Yeah. You sure as hell weren't texting or anything like that. No, texting wasn't even a thing until Nokia came around. And, you know, those those phones, of course, will be found, like, centuries later. (laughs) In fact, you'll still be able to play the snake on it. (laughs) <laughs> they kind of you know I, I think the most recent scream movie they did was a was a more modern take that i haven't seen it but yeah you're talking about scream 4 scream 4 was like 2011 so yeah well now they're about to have an actual reboot which is kind of why we went ahead and brought this movie to the forefront yeah 10 years after the last one the only one that won't be directed by west craven unfortunately yeah west craven passed away i want to say maybe five or six years ago it doesn't feel like it's been that long. but I Yeah, mean, it doesn't feel like it has, but I bet it has been at least that long, yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, he's just so, so missed, you know? I mean, it would have been great to see what we, he would have done with if he would have directed, like, say, another Nightmare with Robert England. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that would have been amazing. Oh, God, too bad. Too bad. I mean, and, and Robert England says that he has another nightmare left in him. He has another movie left in him. Bring him back for one more and just finish it off strong. Yeah. Hell, I mean, even, even just making another new nightmare type of scenario, you know, bring uh, Lagan Camp back as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be here for all that, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you haven't seen New Nightmare, I highly recommend watching that. I mean, if you don't even really have to be a Nightmare on Elm Street fan to really get into that. You just... Yeah, for New Nightmare, as long as you've seen the first one, that's all you need. You don't need anything else. Plus, I like to make a direct connection between New Nightmare and Scream because New Nightmare is where Wes Craven really kind of explored the whole meta-narrative angle that really comes into play here during Scream. Yeah, because by this time, you know, there's already been countless horror slasher flicks and and they've become a part of pop culture i mean it's so much so that you know earlier i was going to point this out that even though i'm a 90s baby i understood most of the references that were thrown out yeah i mean even just by cultural osmosis you know like yeah like for instance in the very first scene which we're going to get into some scene breakdowns here because i mean i think there's some very important scenes that need to really be explored here but i mean knowledge of horror movies is pretty much central to the actual you know plot of the movie and you know especially knowing like something that's really really basic horror movie knowledge but it's kind of believable even around then that you know so-called normies would wouldn't even know what it was and that's of course you know who was the killer in friday the 13th (laughs) And, and and you know that skips drew barrymore up hardcore that costs her boyfriend his life and, and like I said, it's such an easy thing to miss for non for, or even just for casual horror fans. Yeah. And I knew where he was going with it, too. Yeah, exactly. Whenever he asked and, you know, he, she was like, Jason, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. you're right. It's not Jason. No, like, no I mean, if you, you missed. if you even just know a little bit about horror movie history, you'll know who that actually was in Friday the 13th. Yeah. Jason's mom. Spoiler alert, kids, for a movie that's, what, 40 years old? 41 year old movie. 41 year old movie that everybody (laughs) has seen and most people don't even really care for, apparently. It's all right. I have recently rewatched all the Friday the 13th. The original one is mid tier. Like, it's, it's not one of the bad ones, it's not one of the great ones. It's fine. I will die on the hill that Jason Takes Manhattan is the absolute masterpiece of the series. It's the greatest thing ever. Like, I don't even care if Jason is in Manhattan for only 15 minutes. It is amazing. I mean, they, they, they could have just made it, a, you know, Jason on a ship the entire time and not even had New York or Manhattan have any role in it. It would have been just fine. 
<laughs> it's interesting because in all the other Jason movies, although he always gets his victims, there's always the sense that, you know, like, just run the fuck away from him. Just go. Just run as far as fast as you can. But you're trapped on a boat with him. That's very claustrophobic. Yeah, and it should have been explored even further than it was. I mean, it was explored to the nth degree, and it made for some fascinating kills. And, and honestly, I think that's what makes that one the most memorable. I mean, all the kills are like just, you know, being hoisted by your own foibles, you know, or you're yeah. hoisted or, by your own petard, I should say. <laughs> or you try to box Jason and that goes about as well as you would expect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I really like the concept of the killer. You know, he he's very taunting. He almost has like a seductiveness to him, right? Yeah, he does. I mean, even early on when he's on the phone with Drew Barrymore, you know, at first, you know, she's kind of throwing him off, but then she does sort of flirt with him for a little bit because he he comes off, you know, and, and that's the psychopath in him, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a cat playing with a ball of yarn or with an insect before it pounces yeah. on it and just eats it. <laughs> and, and even in just that first scene, it's so meta. At the same time, though, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, you know, this is directed and written quite a bit better than a lot of the 80s slasher movies. There really is an, an emotional... Like a set piece behind it. Yeah, it's yeah. very emotional, is I guess what I'm trying to say. is. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the overall themes of the movie are trauma and how to deal with trauma. And that's something that kind of flows throughout the other movies. It's, it's pretty much like Sydney in various degrees of, you know, dealing with her loss and dealing with her trauma. And, you know, every time it looks like she's about to take, you know, another couple of steps forward... Her trauma comes back and brings her several steps backward. It's just indicative of her overall struggle with what happened to her mom and what happened afterwards with, you know, spoiler alert, with her boyfriend and with, uh, you know, Matthew Lillard's character, which we're going to get into here. In a oh, while. yeah, we yeah. have to get into him. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to start getting <laughs> we're going to get into the characters anymore. I just wanted to explore the actual killer and everything. But like Soinks, I like to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, what do you think of the concept of the killer, Stu? It's interesting. It's funny. If you watch, and we had talked a little bit about Friday the 13th, if you watch the second Friday the 13th, the first one with, you know, Jason, as it were, he is not hyper-competent at all. Like, you picture Jason in your head as this big, unstoppable, just can't do anything about him. He's going to get you. He's going to wipe you out. But you watch the second Friday the 13th, and he's barely competent. Like, he falls off a chair. He cowers whenever uh, Ginny, the protagonist, breaks out a chainsaw. And you really have a, a true to form killer here where whether the killer at any given time is Billy or Stu, they're not that good at what they do. They mostly get lucky most of the time. But I mean, how many times in this movie do you see them get knocked over, punched in the face, kicked in the balls, and you just hear them like grunt and fall over and then their victim just does something horror movie stupid that still ends up getting them killed? Yeah. I so mean, they're, they're threatening because they, they, you know, they have that terrible voice on the phone and they do successfully kill people. But you could also watch it and think like, dude, I could kill these guys. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It, they're pretty much just straight up edgelords. That's exactly yes. what they are. They, it, they're the yes! prototypical little edgelords that you they're would see 4chan on edgelords. They're, they're, they, you would see on 4chan, <laughs> you know, I mean, or or on other little horror forums and some little seedy underbelly of the Internet. You know, these, these are exactly... You know, and I was that idiot maybe a little bit when I was a kid. I was the idiot that went on Rotten.com and just fucking looked at all the gross stuff and everything. <laughs> I am a little beyond that, although I have lots of extreme horror movies, so I guess that kind of fills that now. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of understand where they were coming from there a little bit. And, you know, it's really, really translated well in this movie, especially script-wise and character-wise as well. And in terms of movies that are so intelligent in the way that they're written, that are meta critiques on, on the horror genre, I really would compare this to, like, say, Cabin in the Woods in terms of yes, how yes. far they take. Right. <laughs> I would say I would say rewatching Scream now all these years later, 100 percent. I thought that while I was watching it was one of the biggest problems that has come about with this movie is I just think Cabin in the Woods came out years later and did it better. Yeah, like, I like Cabin in the Woods more than this as a meta commentary on horror. I mean, they're both great. And without Scream, you might not have Cabin in the Woods. But 
I mean, boy, they're both great. They're both fantastic movies, like, yeah, like just yeah. way up there in movies that I like all time. Yeah, that that's very much true and everything. But honestly, what I kind of think about whenever I watch Scream, and I know that it's a weird connection to make, I kind of think of uh, Mikhail Haneke's uh, Funny Games. That's another oh, movie that okay. was very meta and very satirical about you know, what it was trying to say, mainly about how audiences partake in movie violence. Right, which, yeah. Which I think that there's a little bit of a commentary like that going on here with Scream as well. There's a little bit of that, you know, yeah, that's right, here's all the blood and guts, this is what you want, right? I think they do that with the, we had alluded to it earlier, with the scene where, you know, they're watching Halloween and you see the the scene in the bedroom and J, I think it's Jamie Kennedy's character says like, oh, here's the here's the boob scene and then it cuts to Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich up in the bedroom and you don't actually see it. So the movie's like, huh, we know what you're expecting, but no. Yeah, they keep they, they keep on you know putting it forward and then bringing it back and putting it forward and bringing it back and yeah it, it, it's kind of toying with the audience in a way. God damn it! I want my horror movie titties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll go. I I got plenty of movies for that, dude. Yeah, no, I I'm have just lo- kidding. Lots of movies for that actually. Yeah, and I have Pornhub for that too. So. <laughs> oh my lord. All right. Well, yeah, Scream, I think, is just I kind of agree with you. I think Cabin in the Woods just just takes it to its logical extreme. But, you know, Scream, I I think, really just started the snowball with that, you know, sort of. And, And I think we kind of needed something to take before. I haven't seen the other films, but don't they go on another level and like Scream exists as a film within the universe or something yeah, like that. Yeah. In, in the second yeah, movie. Yeah, it becomes a movie called Stab. Stab, exactly. Yeah, it becomes a movie called Stab and is based on the book by Gail Weathers. If memory serves me right, I believe that's what the whole story was. I mean, that's kind of the perfect way to take it from there. So I respect that. But I would like to see maybe in the next one actually do like an in-movie like reference like Scream is, is a franchise by Wes Craven. It would be the perfect way to do the whole new movie without Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah. Just like, like we said, do a full-on new nightmare type of thing with Scream. Yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. I, I know nothing about whether – I don't know. I know the movie's called Scream. It's not called Scream 5. I've talked about this on my show, other shows. I get real tired of how every movie nowadays is just called – like, why is there the Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad? Why is there the Exorcist <laughs> and Exorcist? Why are there going to be two movies called Scream? But yeah, right. yeah whether it's a, a reboot or whatever it's called, I don't know much about it. So I'm very interested to see what direction they go. Well, the thing is, is that we're not really seeing a whole lot of marketing for this movie. And it's literally supposed to be out this month, right? Or was it supposed to be out in November? I'm not really oh, sure. I don't know. I don't know at all. See, see, exactly. It's like, I mean, what are they doing? Really? It's probably getting delayed to 2022. It probably is. I'm sure the pandemic had a lot to do with that. It kind of screwed everything over. I'm sure. I'll look it up right now. You guys keep it going. <laughs> For We're, sure. Oh, I already did. Release date, January 14th, 2022. Uh, see, it got, it got, it got it, delayed. It That's- got delayed. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes a whole lot of sense, actually. And I'm sure that we'll do an at-the-movie review whenever that comes out, because that'll be interesting. I mean, maybe they'll do more of a Halloween 2018 kind of thing with it. I like what they did with Halloween 2018, and, and that's a, that's one of the reasons, that, that, that's another example of your of your irritation, Stu, you know? Because this one is even worse because it's it's also called Halloween, but it's actually the sequel to the first film. So, <laughs> yeah. God, the Halloween timelines are all over the place. And yeah, there are now... Three movies just in that franchise that are called Halloween. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's, it's fucking weird. Yeah, well, we, we don't have to really bring up the Rob Zombie one anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went into all that when we did our Halloween 2018 review a few seasons back. Right. Yeah, I mean, Robert, who's, of course, not with us right now, he, did a, he knows a lot about the Halloween timelines. But... Let's go ahead and get into some of the characters of this movie. Sydney herself, played by Nev Campbell, I mean, I think that she is a very, very dynamic character, right? It's interesting that, and this is one of those things I bring up, it seems to have happened a lot in the 90s, but it's weird that she didn't just become the biggest thing on the planet after this. Like, she did the other Scream movies, she did stuff like Wild Things and The Craft, but... Boy, you watch this movie and you just expect that, like, she was going to be in every movie in the universe after this because she is so good in it. 
it's so weird. I know. I mean, I, I saw an Ask Reddit post that asked something along that same line. Is like, who was an actor that really popped early, but after just didn't really go anywhere after a few movies? And you know what? Nev Campbell didn't even come up once. And that's an interesting thing to point out. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely ones I would think of before her. Trust me, like she's had a better career than some people that you might think of in that regard. But like she felt like she was borderline A list after this. And that just never materialized. She just kind of stayed on the B B list tier. Yeah, there. And she, and she was like the biggest thing in the 90s, especially due to Party of Five and everything. And then, yes. and then this and then this role right here came and it's like, yeah, she got wild things in the craft. But I mean, Jesus Christ, what else did she do? Yeah, that's sad because she's actually, I think, one of my favorite final girls. Yeah, she's a great final girl, and it's because she subverts the final girl trope yeah. so so deeply, you know, and that, that's pretty much what she's written for. So yeah, she she gets laid and she survives. Exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> yes. and even and even the one virgin of the of the movie survives as well. Jamie Kennedy's character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so both so both the final girl and the actual virgin survives in the end. And that's once again, this movie is all about subversion of tropes. And a lot of that goes back to the characters. And, you know, Billy, of course, you know, who ends up being the killer in the end. I think it's really interesting how they did the whole, you know, did he or didn't he thing, even though they they eventually made it pretty obvious, I would say. But, you know, they, they did really kind of play with him a little bit as a character. Yeah, you you watch this movie and there are some scenes, especially with Dewey, that are so weird when you're rewatching this movie where like they're trying to set Dewey up as suspicious just because the movie wants you to think everybody is suspicious. But it's it's just weird scenes in regard to him. But Billy, I mean, everything they do with him works. Again, my only problem with him, I guess, is of course he's the bad guy. He looks like Skeet Ulrich. Like, if I saw that guy in real life, I'd be like, oh, shit, he's definitely a villain in some regard. He has killed some amount of people. Yeah, that's another uh, guy who is like, why didn't you have a slightly bigger role? But, of course, he's, he's Skeet Ulrich. Of course, he didn't have much of a career after this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on now. They do make a point of that in the movie, though. You know, Randy points that out, points that out at, at, with Billy at one point, you know. Like he's totally the killer. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for fuck's yeah, I think it's when they're in the video store together. He yes. says that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean, Jimmy, Jamie Kennedy had a more distinguished career after this. It's like <laughs> what was that fuck. Malibu's most wanted. <laughs> and, yeah. And the Jamie Kennedy experiment, which was yeah. kind of good. It was kind of a good show. A little annoying, but I mean, it was kind of OK. And Malibu's most wanted. I can't take that seriously at all. I can't take that movie seriously, period. It was what it was. I remember kind of half watching it once, and it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. But, I mean, it's not great either. It's it's exactly what you think that movie's going to be. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's exactly what Jamie Kennedy, you expect Jamie Kennedy to be. It's exactly what, you, what he's going to be. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Jamie Kennedy's uh, character, he's the one that actually puts forth all the rules of the movie and of horror movies in general. Yeah, you know? Scream doesn't work without that character because you lose 80% of the meta element if you don't have the Randy character. You 100% need him, which is why I think they definitely made sure he survived to at least make it as far as the second. Because again, you need to have this kind of fourth wall breaking character that's walking the audience through like, well, here's what you can expect vis-a-vis -vis what we might actually give you. Well, he's also the main connection between the actual fandom of horror and this movie as well. He's, he's representative of the fandom. So yes, I mean, he, he, yeah. goes, he goes even beyond the fourth wall for everybody. He's specifically talking to the, the horror nerds, you know, like me and like, every, like all of us, you know, he's speaking to us and he's being like, see, it's like, look at all the tropes that are being presented here. Now, how are we going to play with them? Yeah, he is the audience in 100%. Like, you're supposed to, especially if you go in as, you know, somebody who's loved the whole, uh, Halloween and Jason and Freddy movies, he's the character you're supposed to be like, yeah, he knows what's going on. Yeah, exactly. There's a very, very interesting scene near the end where he's watching, I believe it's Nightmare, I think. It's either Nightmare or Halloween. And Halloween. He's, it's Halloween, and 
He's uh, just straight up like, like, look behind you, look yeah. behind you, and then there's the the ghost face killer right behind him coming up. Yes. But then he's uh, the ghost face killer is distracted by uh, Sydney, who's uh, running away. Everything's running out to the uh, news van, and then in the yeah. news van, they're watching it, and they're like, "Look, turn around, turn around." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's a thirty second delay there. So right, so you as the actual audience of the movie are telling those two characters to turn around as they're telling Jamie Kennedy to turn around as he's telling Jamie Lee Curtis to turn around. <laughs> it's amazing the levels that this movie works on. It's uh-huh. it's actually well written that way, and. Also, Rose McGowan is in this movie. She plays Sydney's friend who, I mean, we had to have a good catty, you know, cynical character who's also kind of breaking the fourth wall by just pointing out how stupid these tropes are. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello. Hello, Sydney. One step. Too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, what's wrong with me? Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Who did he make the rules? The police are always on track, but they watch prom night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Like she, she, that's kind of her role a little bit. She is. And she is delightfully snarky in this movie. Like she's the biggest loss in this movie is whenever she dies because she is so much fun. I on thought the, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. They should have actually used her character a little more, especially during the party scene. I thought it was a shame she died so early. Yeah. And it's also kind of interesting how scary movie parodied her. They, they kind of, I guess she was supposed to be uh Shannon Elizabeth's character in that movie. And it's oh, kind that of, would make sense. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny how they played around with her in Scary Movie. It, it was actually very interesting. And she, she's doing that whole snarky, like, oh, I'm the, you're supposed to be the scared little final girl. And you're the evil killer. She's doing that the entire time that she's getting chased and killed. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it, it leads to some hilarious results. But, yeah, Rose McGowan's character, I mean, she's very interesting. And, of course, I mean, what can we say about, you know, Courtney Cox in this movie? I mean, she she was one of the breakout roles next to Nev Campbell here, you know, having had the Friends pedigree. Has she been in every one so far? I think so, yeah. I've only seen one and two, so I don't know if she made it into three or four. I, I, I know she was in three. Yeah, her and I her don't know our, if she was in four or Her not. and our, Arquette are both in most all of the screams, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Courtney Cox, she brings a charm to Gail that's also very, you know, easy to hate. She's she's a love to hate character in many ways, and she has great chemistry with David Arquette in this movie, which makes sense. Oh, started, she really does. Yeah, they started dating after this, and their chemistry is like is just like on fire, like right away. Yeah, yeah, every time they're on the screen together, you buy all of their dynamic. Yes, yeah, yeah. and David Arquette he plays his character kind of straight. And, and like, oh, I love him. <laughs> and he was initially one of the red herrings of the movie, but I mean, that was overtaken rather quickly after yeah. a while. Here's, here's what I get a kick out of as I was looking over the cast for this movie. David Arquette, as far as the characters go, is the oldest of the male characters. 
Yeah. But he is the youngest actor. <laughs> That's he, funny. He is, he is younger than Lillard, Kennedy, and Ulrich, but he plays a character who's like, what, at least two or three years older yeah, than Yeah, he's, he's like 25, I believe. He says so yeah. straight up he's a 25-year-old. Which, to be fair, I mean, all of the actors at this time were in their mid to late 20s. I guess this was back in that day, the day when we still did that. Yeah. We weren't casting like 18 or 19 year olds to be teenagers. We were just like, ah, just get a 30 year old. It's fine. No one will know. <laughs> Nobody will notice. Everybody yeah. in my high school looked like Rose McGowan. Sure. Why yeah, not? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But of course, I mean, I might as well add that we are talking about WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette <laughs> while we're at it. Yeah, that happened. I, it did, and 100% I've already queued it up on Hulu. Uh, this Before this weekend ends, since I watched Scream, I'm going to watch, what is it, You Cannot Kill David Arquette? Yeah, exactly. Check check that out. Apparently, he's actually become a legitimate wrestler in recent years, and he's actually getting yes. some indie cred. So, I mean, it's actually interesting to watch him kind of transition into a different career after, after what, what was it, Ready to Rumble? That was the name of the movie? Yes, I believe so, yeah. Oh, man, we're going to have to do that movie, man. We might have to have <laughs> you on that episode because, yeah, that movie is, it's just all about marks. <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> and it's great because Arquette legitimately is a fan. Like, yeah. he, he was famous because he was an actor, and then he got to do what all of us would want to do, and then we all hated him for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it was... shouldn't have the world title. But if any one of us went in WCW in 2000 and they were like, ah, for, for a, a rub, we're going to put the title on you, I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure, do why that not? thing. Yeah, why, why wouldn't you, <laughs> you want to be WCW World Heavyweight Champion for a while? I mean, especially with the pedigree behind that belt and everything, going all the way back to the NWA and, every, and whatnot, so... Yeah, I would say yes to that, wouldn't you, Ash? I mean, I know you're not much of a wrestling fan, but... You said NWA, and I thought, fuck the police and straight up. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It was the Northern Wrestling Alliance, I believe it was called. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, wrong NWA, Ash. Well, okay. <laughs> We're not talking about Dre and, Dre and Cube. <laughs> and easy. Hey, I don't know anything about wrestling. But, I mean, one more final note on the characters. You also have Henry Winkler in this movie, the Fonz himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's great in this movie. I mean, he kind of... He he's great little, in everything. Yeah, he kind of has a little bit of that character that he would eventually play in Arrested Development, I think. Yes, yeah. He's very, like, a somewhat more serious, you know, not drug-addicted Barry Zuckercorn. Yeah, But he ex even exactly. does kind of the thing... Where, like, he has the cupboard in his office that has a mirror in it, and he has the scene where he's, like, he poofs up his hair in the mirror, and it's like, all right, I see you, movie, what you're doing with Henry Winkler. Yeah, exactly. You're just kind of having that whole meta Arthur Fonzarelli vanity moment and whatnot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, man, and he, he's charming in this movie as well. And I, I feel like there's someone else that we're forgetting in this movie. Who else was in this movie that was notable? I am going to look up his name Matthew because Lillard, I don't know his name, but Matthew I will I will tell you who you're forgetting in one second. Just keep talking. I will look up the cast list and let you know. Yeah, of course, you know, Matthew Lillard, you know, what can be said about him? Shaggy himself. He used exactly 0.0001% of his power in this movie. Oh, there was no way that any, <laughs> that Nev Campbell probably would be the only one that could stand up to him, though. Neff Campbell could. <laughs> Neff Campbell has 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 even more power in, in the in the tiny percentile range than than Shaggy. It is an interesting twist at the end because well, at first they throw you for a loop, you know, and and you know Billy think seems like he was actually just a red herring, but he actually is the killer, and it was like oh yeah, that was kind of obvious the whole time, but yeah. you know, but then they they blow another twist in, and you know Matthew Lillard is also a part of it. We've got Billy and Stu are in in our on the whole thing, and you can very clearly see in their interactions in that moment that you know Stu is the sociopath and Billy is the psychopath. Yeah, in exactly. This, in this, you know. Yeah, it, it makes sense that Stu would be the follower here and everything. Yeah. And I love the excuse that he gives whenever Sydney is asking him on the phone. It's like, what is your excuse? Billy has an excuse. What's your excuse? He's like, peer pressure. pressure. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> that's, that's possibly the best line of the movie. Even it all is. these years later, I crack up at that and he, line. And he's sitting there just all wounded and everything and dying, just like peer pressure. <laughs> and she says that she called the police and he's like, my parents are going to be so mad at me. That is so classic. I love that moment. It's just another another one of the examples of that great satirical humor throughout this movie. That third act in particular 
is probably just the best part of the movie. Of other than the actual intro at the first act. The first act Drew and Barrymore. the third act are honestly the best parts, but Oh yeah. A lot of the a lot of what happens between the Drew Barrymore scene and the third act in the house party is just waiting for the third act in the house party. Yeah, I always it's felt just like getting to that point. I felt like that that's really the pacing of the movie. It has a really, really solid first act that sets up everything you need to know about the story, and then the story kind of becomes a little more low-key, and we start to kind of see this little build-up and everything. You have a few more calls, and then you have Henry Winkler's murder and everything. And then eventually you get to the party, and that's where the third act comes in, and that's where the climax is, and, and that's some of the most iconic parts of the movie. The acting in that part is actually really brilliant. I love just how wild they get and off the rails and, you know, just everything in the open. Hell, that's where you have the famous Jamie Kennedy rules of horror speech and everything. Right. I will will have you know that literally I, I have the movie on in the background right now and we are two seconds away from Jamie Kennedy jumping up and saying, these are the rules. Like, that's literally what I'm about to rewatch with the sound off. But there it is. Hell yeah, that's great. That is serendipitous, needless to say. I tried to find this movie physically, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I don't know why. Yeah, we streamed it on AMC+. Plus. I mean, I looked it up on the Apple TV app. And yeah, don't, it, not recommended. It, it'll recommend, you know, wherever has it for free or whatever, whatever service it's a part of. And I could buy or rent it if I wanted to. But, uh, you know, one of the options was with like an AC, AMC Plus free trial of like seven days which already canceled but amc literally releases the tv version of it with like the tv cuts in it yeah there's the oh, commercial oh yeah the commercial that's cuts. true it's the commercial cuts it's like what the fuck man are you really shitting me here so just just <laughs> shell out the money and and buy or rent it you can buy or rent it from apple i think for like it's like four bucks or 15 bucks or, if you're, uh, or, or if you're, just go to your local video store yeah, yeah if, if, you you're don't able have a copy. if you're able to find a physical copy of this you could probably find it for literally five bucks you might even be able to find all four movies on one cd for like five bucks even yeah on like a rack at walmart or something yeah or, or a heb or target or whatever you could probably find this movie somewhere I, if I would have lo- had to had the time to look a little deeper, I probably could have found it. But yeah, don't watch it on AMC. You may as well watch it on TV. It's just maybe a little bloodier and with the uh, cursing and everything. <laughs> Did they even cut out any cursing or, or, or gore? In the- no, they didn't. I mean, I'm just kind of confused what they actually cut through to make the commercial cuts. Like, I mean, I'm not really sure what's missing from there, if anything. I don't think anything's missing. I think they just have those awkward fades. It's very <laughs> awkward, and it, it really kind of takes you out of the movie. So, yeah, that's that's just not the way to watch it. You may as well just watch it on TV with the advertisements. So I looked up on the cast list. I wanted to get the other uh, cast member I definitely wanted to talk about because, like I said, I was pretty much the age target when this movie came out. I was as old as these characters were supposed to be. This came out in 96. I would have been 15, 16 years old. Yeah. I was a teenager watching this movie. You watch this movie back then. You're empathizing with the Randy character. You like the Nev Campbell character. I'm 40 now. I'm 40. Yeah, I'm 40. I'll be 41 in less than a month. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 40 now and I watch this movie. You know who I cheered for in this movie? Kenny. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, the cameraman played by W. Earl Brown. Oh, man, he was now, great. He's just a Now, stiff. as a 40-year-old man, that is who I cheer for. I cheer for the guy who doesn't really want to do his job. He just want to eat snacks. He just wants to take a nap if he can squeeze one in. Yeah, most of the time, he's just kind of chillaxing in the news van. That's really just, just what he does. He's just annoyed by all these stupid teenagers running around. He doesn't really care about any of their lives. He just wants to eat, to eat his Cheez-Its. Yeah, I, that's it. That's my character. <laughs> yeah, very much a relatable character. Just a working stiff, just trying to do his job, and just you know, it's yeah. a boring ass job. You do a slush stakeout, you're gonna munch on some snacks, you know. See, he's getting yelled at. What's essentially his boss that he's not doing his job fast enough or well enough. Yeah, they, they they really lean into going to a party. <laughs> They really lean into that in Scary Movie. They they uh, really play oh, with you know Sherry O'Terry plays Gail Weathers the Gail Weathers character in that, and her interaction <laughs> with her cameraman is hilarious. Like he's pretty much just like man, fuck this chick. Great. <laughs> if that's if that's y'all's generation, that means that, or I mean, I mean you're you're the same generation as me. You're just elder millennial, and yeah. I'm like young. But I, I'm 25, yeah. so I'm the same age as Deputy Doofus. 
<laughs> Deputy Doofus. <laughs> Officer Doofy. Oh, man. Officer Doofy was great. That's actually a really great, if somewhat not so politically correct, send up. But I remember recently when the pandemic started, he was going around like L.A. as the Doofy character. Like, just making sure people were social distancing with this measuring stick with, like, six dildos apart. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, he was like, no, you got to be six feet apart. Like, doing that whole <laughs> shtick and everything. That's awesome. With dildos so people weren't touching them. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was actually an interesting way for him to go out and be Officer Doofy. He also does the character at a lot of conventions, I understand. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, I mean, he's really leaned into that uh, quite a bit. It'd be it'd be funny to see him and Anna, Anna Ferris kind of reprise their roles in that. That would be really funny. Like Anna Ferris was really great in that movie as well. She she played she played the Nev Campbell character kind of dumb all the way through. Yeah, dumb but also aware of what she, movie she's in. It's a very <laughs> self aware movie, and and that's what I that's like think I think that's what I like most about it. About Scream, right? Yeah, Scream is extremely self aware in its script and everything, and. And that that third act really really undercuts it in so many ways. Right. Like like it's notable that Matthew Lillard's character is finally offed by a TV that is playing Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street, and she says Nev says in your dreams, and then just knocks it over on him and kills him. It's like yeah, it, it, the horror fucking killed Stu in in the movie. Hor a horror movie killed him. That's something remarkable, right? <laughs> But anyway, I guess we can go ahead and start getting into our final thoughts on this movie. We'll go ahead and start with you, Stuart. Go ahead. Uh, it's it, it holds up really well. I was surprised. You know, we talked about Cabin in the Woods and you guys talked a lot about Scary Movie, which you've seen like a lot of things have come after this and have taken a little bit of the shine off of it because, boy, it was such an original concept when it came out and then every movie in the world tried to be it for a solid 10 years after it came out and then cabin in the woods was what 15 years later and was at least as good as scream if not better but when you watch it it's the the shots are really good the acting is really good it's still a lot of fun even though you know what's going on all this all these years later you know who the killers are it's Still a really good mystery. Everything has aged pretty darn well on it. I will say there's a few weird moments. Like I noted, there's a few weird shots in particular. Like when Henry Winkler dies, you get the close-up of his eyeball and you see the mask in the eyeball. Or there's a scene where Tatum and Sydney are in a grocery store and then you see... Ghostface in the the reflection of like the ice cream glass or there's a scene where they're outside and then the camera zooms into the woods and you have this like sasquatch moment where Ghostface kind of runs uh, like from one side to the other and all three of those were kind of like I don't know what you were going for with these shots Wes Craven I want to <laughs> say those were his attempts at jump scares maybe maybe like the the Sasquatch scene is real weird because it zooms off into the woods and Ghostface comes in from one side, looks straight on at the camera, and then runs back off into the woods. And it's literally like all those videos you see supposedly of Sasquatch. And I was like, is this supposed to be a send up of that? I don't know what's happening here. I don't know. It just could have been a send up of certain movie tropes at that time when it came to horror. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it, it, those are very, very weird moments. But yeah, you're right. Other than that, everything really ages rather well. Even with the uh, whole cell phone angle and everything, but yeah, as, it's the same thing as like yeah. if you watch Halloween right now, they obviously didn't even have the concept of cell phones back then, so it's fine. You accept the movie for the era it was uh, written for. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ash, what are your final thoughts? Oh, it's it's incredibly original, and 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 it's fun too because when I think of Wes Craven and I think of like Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, that's played a bit more seriously, although not completely. So I, I like how this is humorous in a very intelligent way. And, you know, it, it, it's not just like, what am I trying to say? I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The humor is very intelligent. You know, the whole meta critique is just a lot of fun. But it's also a well-directed movie. It really is. I mean, Wes Craven really knew his way around, you know, framing a shot and, what, and everything. Like, I mean, you could really tell that in his movie Last House on the Left even though it was really, really gritty and it was really kind of, you know, downright dirty and exploitative looking. I mean, he still knew how to, you know, set up his foreground, how to set up what's in his background and everything, stuck to the rule of thirds and whatnot. 
I mean, he really was a very cinematic director when you really get down to it. I mean, and in many ways, I feel he's kind of underrated. You know, maybe somewhat in the same way that a lot of John Carpenter's works can be a little underrated. Oh, yeah, I think Wes Craven's definitely more underrated than John Carpenter. I think John Carpenter gets a lot of credit for being a, a very intelligent director. I think people think of Wes Craven as just like, oh, he made slashers, and people don't really respect that. But, I mean, he definitely had a sense of the scope of dread that you needed to add to a scene. There are scenes where he disorients you by kind of like moving the camera around, like almost spherically. So you, you, you just have this sense of something's wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it because it's just because of the way the camera is moving or aimed. And I mean, that's really good stuff for the kinds of movies that he made because it keeps you off balance. Exactly. You know, and when it came to, you know, the type of scripts that he worked with, he also made lots of really interesting movies like Deadly Friend, like People Under the Stairs. He made The Serpent in the Rainbow, which is a great supernatural thriller and everything. And yeah. He made of course, Red Eye, which is a, a pretty good thriller. Like, there's no horror aspect to it, but I believe that was him with Killian Murphy and uh, uh, Rachel McAdams yeah, on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about that? They make, they make that joke too. Remember, they, it was like they they say Wes Carpenter. Wes Carpenter, exactly. There's yeah. that little meta joke right there. Yeah. I was trying to remember the exact quote, but anyway, they they min they dropped the name Wes Carpenter. I mean, and Wes Craven <laughs> even did one of the penultimate siege movies, Hills Have Eyes. You know, which was redone by Alexander Aja back in the 2000s. That's another great movie. I don't know if either of y'all has seen Hills Have Eyes. I don't know that I've seen the original. I didn't care for the remake. I know that. That was that was a bit too torture porn for me. Like when I was talking earlier about how this movie is brutal and bloody but not gory. Yeah. The Hills Have Eyes was a bit too gory for me. It was the kind of stuff that was just like, you know, made my stomach queasy to watch. Well, the, the, thing, the thing is, uh, the actual original Hills Have Eyes is kind of a down and dirty, disturbing movie in its own right. Yeah, so it's really, that's what I've heard. It's really not that far removed from what Alexander Aja did with the source material. I feel that I, I really like Alexander Aja as a director. I mean, I have high tension. I don't care for the ending, but I think that it's a very serviceable slasher movie. And he did the source material some justice. If I thought the story kind of fell flat a little bit near the end in the third act. But... I mean, I guess that's your final thoughts on everything, Ash. The only other thing like, I, I want to say is that it, it pains me to know that Harvey Weinstein's paws are all over this. Oh, I know. His, his prints are just... Are, especially some of, those, some of those shots, you know, with characters that are, well, actors portraying underage characters that are just a little sensualized. Just knowing that Harvey Weinstein's name is attached to that just gives me kind of creepy vibes in retrospect. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Try, try watching uh, The Burning nowadays. Have. He's one of those guys that you just kind of have to, as much as you can, you kind of have to separate him from the art because he, him and his brother were involved in what, like every third movie that came out for like 20 or 30 years. Yeah, like almost anything you watch is going to have his name on it. Including like Oscar award winning movies. Yeah, yeah. So to be fair, I guess his money was just kind of thrown at it. So that's. It's yeah. not too big of a deal. Yeah, but if you really want to see something that will make you want to take a shower, watch The Burning. He actually wrote the script for that movie. Oh, no. So, oh, no, yeah, no, I'm not down with anything he wrote, no. No, it's like, yeah, and The Burning is considered a classic slasher movie. I mean, it had Tom Savini as a special effects director on that, and that was right after he initially did Friday the 13th, so. yeah. I mean, a lot of people say that Friday the 13th was derivative of The Burning, but it's actually the other way around. But yeah, that's, that's what's up with that fucking movie. But I think that Scream is, you know, it's very much of its time, but it's also, like, beyond its time as well, if you know what I mean. The, the meta angle is something that would become almost standard in a lot of horror movies coming from that time. And, and like y'all said, it wasn't really perfected until Cabin in the Woods came out. Although I, of course, say that, you know, Funny Games was actually kind of down that same path a little bit. I mean, and in Funny Games, they, the characters literally break the fourth wall and talk to you. They, they're just like, yeah, you like this, don't you? Yeah, they rewind the movie when things go wrong. That, I, yeah. I, I, the movie lost to me a little bit on that point. That was too much breaking of the fourth wall. But 
I would say the difference is like Funny Games is pretty much 100% a horror thriller. Scream is like 75% horror to 25% comedy. And then you have Cabin in the Woods, which is like the perfect 50-50 like comedy horror split. Like they combined both elements as perfectly as you're going to get there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I just, I just kind of feel like Funny Games is a good movie to kind of bring up in the same light. I mean, Oh, yeah, it's not, absolutely. It's at, definitely at least, uh, thematic. Least, yeah, thematically, it's very much satirical in the same way. But, I mean, I really like the characters. I like the cast in this movie. I mean, Neff Campbell is such a sweetheart. I mean, like you said, Skeet Ulrich was perfect to play the, the boyfriend <laughs> and eventually the killer. You know, of course, there was, you know, good old Matt Lillard, of course. The, the yeah, legend Matthew himself. Lillard, man, is he is just... Reaching for the brass ring in every scene he is in in this movie, man. Exactly. He is not leaving anything behind. They they no. said action, and he was like, I will give you all the action. He chewed scenery left and right. Yes. Every, every scene he was. He's yeah. good at that, actually. He's really good at just completely throwing himself into a role. I'd love to see method acting if he hasn't done that. You should see his movie SLC Punk. That's like his his one of his masterworks, pretty okay. much. Okay, <laughs> like yeah. I remember seeing that like back in Hollywood Video back in the day all the time. I just never got around to renting it. I highly recommend watching it. It's one of his best works, and it's a very funny yet powerful comedy drama. Has a very much a gut punch ending, but it's also all about the punk scene in Salt Lake City in the fucking late '80s, early '90s, and whatnot. So you know. Kevin in the Woods also has a stoner character who I thought could be an excellent Shaggy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of works, right? Yeah, it does. Maybe that character is just kind of necessary. Maybe he is. <laughs> to the thing. <laughs> but yeah, Scream is definitely one of the preeminent slasher satires of all time. It's always fun to watch. I mean, I could sit down and watch it pretty much any time, and it's a fucking two-hour-long movie, and it flows so perfectly. I mean, you could get from point A to point B easily. So, I mean, it's just something that you should own even. Get, get a physical copy of this. It's it's definitely an important movie. Yeah, yeah okay, it definitely boomer. earns its status. It was pretty much an instant classic when it came out, if I recall correctly. And it uh, it holds up. It's earned that. Yeah, it's more than earned its role as among the all-time iconic horror movies. And, and also Ghostface, he's become iconic in his own right since then as well. I mean, another great thing about him is his simplicity. He, he literally just bought a fucking Halloween costume from Spirit of Halloween and <laughs> went on a slasher killing spree. You know, it's, it's very simple. You know, it, it, like you said earlier, anyone could really do what these two did. And anyone could probably take them out easily if you outsmart them. And I like that in the reality of the movie, the I think it's the principal or maybe one of the police says something like, they have a billion of these costumes all over the state. Yeah, it's like there's no way to really like determine who is who is who here. Yeah, there's no way to narrow it down. But anyway, that is our episode on Scream. I think that we had a lot of fun here. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah, yeah, it was great. I had a really good time with you guys. It was a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to go ahead and let you uh, plug whatever you have coming up here right now. So go ahead, man. Sure, absolutely. So my podcast is The Stew World Order. We do random comic book movies, which you guys are going to be on. We're going to do a recording of uh, a movie soon. And the way we do that is I have a big comprehensive list. I have my guests draw three random movies. I tell them what they chose, and they pick the one we're going to watch. And that's uh, every episode we have. Sometimes we get good movies. We've done stuff like Avengers Endgame. Sometimes we do Catwoman. So what are you <laughs> to do it's, it's all down to what people draw but uh, i also have the website swoproductions.com we have pop culture articles every single day and you can find us on twitter at swoproductions yeah we follow you on twitter and you have a pretty prolific twitter page so yeah go follow him there ash what's going on with collateral gaming collateral gaming we are wrapping up our season finale uh, should have had it out already, but part one is out already on Beyond Two Souls. Part two has already been recorded. I just got to edit it down, and that's going to be on Heavy Rain. So we're kind of comparing and contrasting those two Quantic Dream titles. And then very soon here, probably within a week or so, we're going to be releasing our season premiere of Collateral Gaming Season 4. We are talking about Metroid Dread. So we're going to open up with a spoiler-free review, and then we are going to do our Halloween special on Outlast, and then finish up, and part two of Metroid Dread will actually be a full spoilery. Full spoiler episode. Right. Excellent. 
So, uh, and, and that kind of gives it a month after the game has come out and we can really, you know, dive into some stuff because it's Metroid and we can't not do that along with, you know, every Zelda game that comes out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So that's really exciting. And uh, Collateral Cinema. And Collateral Cinema, the next episodes that we are going to be doing is going to be a two-parter next month during November. We're getting into the Star Wars prequels. Hell yeah. I, oh, I'm, the prequels. The prequels, yeah. I, this was Ash's <laughs> idea. I well, want you to, I'll have you know. This is after our Halloween special, though, right? Yeah, our Halloween special is going to be on Halloween Kills whenever it's released. We're going to at least try to have it ready before or on Halloween. We're really excited about that. We, it was originally delayed last year. We were going to do it last year, but we just couldn't. So so October is a total horror month. We did Necromantic. We're doing Scream. And we're doing our At The Movies edition episode on Halloween Kills. Another and, spoiler-free review that we're going to have a lot of fun doing. Yeah, and we are also on the Victims and Villains Horrific Hope Awareness-a-thon. And we're going to go ahead and announce it. We're going to do Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. We're going to celebrate everything Elvira because she's been in the news a lot lately for various reasons. She's had a few specials on Netflix and on Shudder. Fuck yeah, she looks great. And she's what, like she's, 70? She's, she just turned 70. That's insane. Yep. I can't, I can't believe it. She looks amazing. I mean, I would smash. And I, will, I, I just want to back up on you guys and say that Victims and Villains, great podcast. I've done stuff with them in the past. What they do, what they uh, seek to raise awareness for is great stuff. They're just a, a fantastic show, and I definitely look forward to hearing you guys with them. Those are two fantastic shows for the price of one, if I may say so. Oh, definitely, man, and we're always excited to work with them, I mean, and also for a good cause. I mean, we've done this already, like, twice in the last year and a half or so don't we have do we have anything planned with captain nostalgia oh yeah uh, our uh christmas special yeah we're gonna have our christmas special we're gonna be doing last ounce of courage yeah so oh we nice yeah yeah <laughs> war on christmas movie yeah let's do this so yeah we we, we frequently work with uh, victims and villains awesome podcast again uh everything that Stu just said they're great and what yeah. they're doing is great and on the on the prequel episodes it's going to be a two-parter two separate episodes we're going to have the spy hearts podcast with us on that one okay good so, yeah they're going to be with us to that too. yeah it's going to be an interesting couple of episodes i mean i'm i'm actually interested in how you're going to structure these episodes so yeah i think we're going to kind of do like episodes 1 and part of 2 and then episodes 2 and 3 Oh, okay, I see. Well, all right, we'll we'll get there when we get there, I guess. Something like that. We'll figure <laughs> it out. I don't want to do three separate episodes, but I think we need more than one. Yeah. To get right into on. all three. But yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about Collateral Cinema Season 5. Uh, just getting started. We still have a lot more content ready for you guys, both on this side and the director's cut. We're going to be releasing more commentaries on our Patreon. If you haven't checked out our Patreon, feel free to subscribe. We have $1 and $5 tiers, and you'll get access to our exclusive full-length movie commentaries. Exactly. And hopefully very soon, maybe we might even do our own little exclusive live stream if we have a few people. And we do have at least one $1 patron. It's uh, Vern from the Cinema Recall. Thank you, Vern. We, we appreciate the dollar. <laughs> yeah. You appreciate it, man. Thank you. You'll get a shout out. Yeah, you got a sh you got your shout out now, brother. All right. But you can also find Collateral Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Find us on Podbean, on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. You can find us on iHeartRadio. And you can find us wherever else you get your podcast. Also, look for us on Chill Lover Radio. And also, oh, what else were we on? We're on Good Pods as well. Check us out on Good Pods. Give us some listens and help us get up on that leaderboard. I mean, I've been hearing a lot of good things about a lot of the podcasts getting high up on the leaderboard there. So, yeah, help us get up there. And, you know, I think that we're deserving of being on at least the top 100. I think we're deserving of it. Are you on oh, Good Oh, definitely. Are you on Good Pods, too? I believe so, yeah. I, I believe I, I have the app. I've claimed the, the podcast on there. Right. I, I believe so, yes. Right on. Okay, so yeah, look for Stu on Good Pods as well. But I guess that with all of that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you very much once again for being on the podcast, Stu. We, we will definitely have you on again in the near future, maybe even on some Director's Cut episodes here or there. Oh, fantastic. That would be great. It'll be, uh, we've talked about Scream, and we previously talked about Spider-Man 3, which is no worse than the second best movie in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. <laughs> I will throw that out there. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. 
Yeah, check out our episode on that. We had a lot of fun with that. But with that said, I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Robert Stewart. And this was Collateral Cinema. Thank you once again, Stu. And we'll see you next episode. Laters. Collateral Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.